RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hey, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going well. So today, episode 25 of RPG Lessons Learned, we're going to talk about our first foray into Rokugan. And Rokugan, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, it's it's the Legend of the Five Rings setting. So I really wanted to do the whole samurai setting, and uh, we're going to talk about some, some lessons we learned by trying out a totally new setting. But because we're talking about Rokugan, we, we asked Tanner, the GM from Shadow of the Cabal, uh, an L5R actual play podcast, uh, back on the show to, to talk with us about anything we may have done wrong. So, Tanner, <laughs> thank you for, for coming back. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. I, I just want to say uh, right out the start, as long as you're having fun, you're doing it right. So I, don't let my uh, my nerd rage get in the way of this too much. No, absolutely. So, Tanner, tell us about, about Shadow of the Cabal and where we can find you online. Sure. Um, Shadow of the Cabal, like uh, Dusty said, is an L5R actual play podcast that I produce and run. You can find it on iTunes and Google Play is the easiest place to find it. We're on Twitter at SOTC Pod, and it's a show about uh, samurai. It's really high drama, high intensity, serious business all the time, and it's a ton of fun. So last time we recorded, I was a fan of the show, but Brian had, had, had listened a little bit. At this point, Brian and I are both fans of the show. Oh, yeah, I really enjoy it. I've uh, been oh, listening. I am a couple episodes behind. Um, I started, uh, basically, I downloaded every episode. Uh, I started, like, with episode 27, 28, and I, mm-hmm. I, I, my goal was to go back and listen from the beginning. But what I really love about it is it's like, it's, it's like an interact, it's like an audiobook almost. And, it's like you're really telling a story, and that's totally not how we play. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely not how we play either. That is, There's a lot of editing that goes into making it a coherent piece of media. I mean, you guys, we joked about it last time we were on, and you guys were like, oh, we, we, we're not serious enough to do any of this stuff. And man, we, got, we have so many off-color, off-topic discussions that get cut. And you know what? When you have the magic of editing, you can make anything sound coherent. But I appreciate the compliments. Thank you. No, no, well, I mean... That actually, in a way, it kind of makes me sad because I thought you guys were like, it sounded like uh, it's almost like a formal business presentation. Uh, guys, Tanner's being modest because the, he does the, an the, excellent the, the job. parts of the show that, that make the cut are, amazing. are still better than our best parts oh, absolutely. of our games. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, we're going to be recording a – we'll get into this, I think, later this episode or next episode. But we're going to be playtesting the new L5R beta, and that one is going to be largely unedited. So you can see all of the – Dirty ways the sausage is made, and uh, you, you'll your opinion will probably drop a couple points. So, so we'll... speaking of sausage, so uh, we do record a lot. Of, we do play a lot of our games at work. Just um, you know, put that out there. It after hours, after hours, it, <laughs> during lunch, <laughs> during three o'clock. No, but it, like in my mind, I project that on other people as well. So it's kind of like in my mind, you're doing it like in the boardroom, where we're doing it like just a little corner meeting room. That's just kind of how. Yeah, we record it completely digitally. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but we don't – I have never met any of my players in real life. We are set to meet at a Catacon, uh, the RPG Academy's official convention in November for the first time and meet up in game and stuff. But otherwise, we play over Roll20 and Skype, and it is a completely digital show. You did great. Technology is amazing. It is. It's absolutely. All right. So for those of you listening at home, just to be clear, Tanner is joining us because of his of, of the depth of Rokugan knowledge that he has and, and his experience jamming games there. But 
Tanner was not part of the game that we're about to discuss. So I'm going to direct a lot of questions at Brian about the actual session. Uh, very curious to hear Tanner's thoughts on that, and then a few questions at Tanner about uh, L5R and Rokugan in general. So let's go ahead and jump right in with a question for Brian. So, Brian. Yes. We decided to play L5R in 5th edition. Yes. You guys had just invested in the books. I didn't. I really wanted to run a game in Rokugan, but I didn't have the heart to say, hey, guys, I know you just bought these 5th edition books, but do you mind if we run this completely other game? 5th so, edition D&D, to be clear. Yes, 5th edition yeah. D&D, which is relevant now because there is soon to be a 5th edition a fifth edition L5R. Yeah. Um, so 5th edition D&D, where we, I put the work of the conversion on you guys. Yes. I sent you an email where I laid out, hey, it's a samurai game, and I laid out a few guidelines for, for, for rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, was that too much work for me to put on you? Was that fair? Did you have enough familiarity with 5e to be able to make a samurai in 5e? So I'll put it this way. 20 this was we we did this the first i guess was this the end of 2015 or the or early 2016 when we were actually doing the work uh you i sent the email end of 2015 so early early 16 okay so at that point where i was as a player i don't think it was too much work but i didn't necessarily it wasn't super intuitive to me it should have been now i would have no problem with that but i think my style of gameplay my my interest in it was much more casual than it is now. Mm-hmm. So back then, I think I, I probably w- might have been a little confused here and there. But if you asked me to do that today, I mean, it would be it would be a piece of cake. But like at that point, we were still doing fifth edition. I I, I still was asking questions like uh, like Am I bloodied? You know, whenever you know, like from D and D fourth edition, because sure, sure. I wasn't quite clear on everything. Um. It wasn't too much, but at that point, I think I just wanted to pick up and play. So at work, we often talk about stretch assignments, assignments that that you give to someone so that, you know, they can succeed or fail. If they fail, it's not a huge deal, but if they succeed, they, they, man, they've learned a lot. So stretch assignments. Was this a fair stretch assignment? Were you, were you annoyed at being asked to do this? I don't think it was like, I think a a good stretch assignment. And and you said that if you fail, it's not a big deal. Like in my mind, a stretch assignment is usually a pretty big deal. You give a stretch assignment to somebody that is a high performer, a lot of potential, and you give them something that they can really hit a home run with. But with a safety net. With, with a safety net. I mean, you're still there. You know. Can I, can I fire in with a quick question? Yeah. I don't yeah. know if this is getting into like the nitty gritty, if you guys want to get into this, but how exactly did you go about converting L5R to 5th edition D&D? Did you just say, hey, everyone's either a fighter or a cleric? Like, I... I'm just, it's such a foreign concept to me. Like, I'm just curious as to how the nuts and bolts, if you guys want to go over the gist of that. Sure, great question. We had just come off of a game that we actually set in the 1920s, and we used D&D 5th Edition to do that. And the way I explained that to the guys at the table was, hey, let's use all the mechanics of 5th Edition, but simply reflavor it. The light cross, or the hand crossbow is now a pistol. The light crossbow is now, you know, a light rifle or submachine gun. The, The heavy... The, the heavy crossbow is now a shotgun or, or a rifle or whatever. So, hey, let's use the same mechanics. Let's use the same numbers, same dice, same hit die, but just simply call it something else. So in the email that I sent to the guys where I said, hey, I want to play a samurai game, I had guidelines where I said, hey, there are bushi. So bushido, the way of the warrior. Some, some samurai are bushi, swordsmen. And for these, feel free to roll a fighter or a ranger or even a rogue and and. and Give them all the right armor and weapons, but then reflavor 
the weapons. Call the longsword a katana. Call the short sword a wakazashi. Call your dagger a tanto. You know, just use those Eastern terms. But hey, same math. Um, keep the concept of heavy armor, medium armor, light armor. But we might just rename the armor. So my guidance was, hey, let's use the mechanics that we're familiar with. Just call the stuff something else. And then for the, for the magic users, for Shugenja, I did have some, in the email, I did have some guidelines for that. I said, hey, warlocks, wizards, you know, clerics, whatever, these can be Shugenja. Please try to either choose spells that have kind of an elemental flavor that we can explain away as being air, earth, fire, or take the spell and use the mechanics, but reflavor the flavor text to be elemental in nature. Awesome. So, so it was more of an exercise of reflavoring stuff than it was constructing new mechanics. Absolutely. Yeah. All okay. the same mechanics, different flavor. And that's how we, that's how I asked for the conversion to be done. Yeah. And so in, and I think I've made this point in the show, like Dusty, where you approach things from both a technical, but also an artistic sort of uh, perspective. I, I sort of remember things in terms of how they were presented from an artistic perspective. So if you had told me, without going back to the notes, that we actually played this in L5R and it was completely different than D&D 5th edition, I would have remembered it that way because it, it, it felt so different at the time. And it really shouldn't have. It shouldn't have because it's just D&D 5th edition. But I was asking a lot of questions and I, I think you had to remind me it's just 5th edition. Yeah, the settings. <laughs> the setting was so different that yes. Yeah. All right. Um, so Tanner... Related to 5th edition and, and running L5R in 5th edition D&D versus the traditional D10-based roll-and-keep um, L5R 1st edition up through 4th edition with a weird D20 thing in the middle we won't talk about. We don't but, talk about that. Yeah. But w- did we do a disservice to, to, to Rokugan and to L5R by running it in D&D 5th edition? So I will put a disclaimer on this that as long as... This is, and this is the core motto of my podcast family is that as long as you're having fun, you're playing the game right. That being said, I wouldn't have ever done this. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on L5R and 5th edition D&D specifically I'm not going to get into. Suffice to say, I'm not a huge fan of 5th edition D&D. Um, I don't think that there's anything intrinsically about roll and keep that die mechanic that really attaches it to L5R. That being said, I don't understand. I, I wouldn't have ever made that decision for myself just because the burden of conversion, like you said, and the reflavoring, it'd be too hard for me to get my mindset out of that. I'm kind of bad at reflavoring things, to, to be completely honest. And it'd be hard for me to sort of move my mindset and ignore looking at my character sheet, the fact that it says Dungeons and Dragons at the top of it. <laughs> but for you guys, for what you're saying, like L5R 4th edition, I'm pretty sure when you guys played this was an out of print game. And or either that or was there was not much stock left. So, I mean, I'd always rather people be playing Samurai and playing in Rokugan whatever way they can, even if you can't necessarily get your hands on the L5R fourth edition books or PDFs aren't your thing. Um, <laughs> I Like I said, I don't think that there's anything about Rokugan that's really tied to the roll and keep system. And I think a lot of L5R fans might crucify me over that but uh i think that what you guys did was fine as long as you guys had fun with it i'll say that that's fair and i'll talk about why we made that decision uh, i certainly get you saying you, you don't understand it um that's perfectly fair right uh but for me and my group i mean not trying to throw you guys under the bus brian so feel free to take offense i will gladly take offense but getting you guys to learn a role-playing system uh, and, and spending years mastering D and mastering d20 and and you know, finally banishing the question. Now, wait, which dice am I rolling? <laughs> the one with the most sides. Um, 
doing away with all those questions. For me, the, the reflavoring made sense, and, and I really think of games, I think of the math and the flavor as always two different things. For me, there's it's mechanics and flavor. They're very what? That's very interesting to me, because I think that a hallmark of good game design are mechanics that enforce the flavor of the world and enforce you to play in a certain way. That's a big, that's a personal taste for me. And that's a big reason why I kind of avoid generic systems whenever I can. I know that you guys love like BRP and I don't know if you guys have messed around with savage worlds or anything, but um, we're going to, yeah, it's, it's a fun system, but it's one of those things where I think that the better that the mechanics and this, the tone of the game can be matched uh, the better the game will be. Like, for example, L5R is a very lethal game. Um, when you start taking hits, you start getting worse at things. It's gritty and realistic, and that is something that D&D 5th Edition, at past a certain point, is not. If you have 1 HP in D&D or 50, you're fighting the same. But in L5R, if you've lost half your HP, you might as well be dead. You're useless. You can't fight on anymore. And, like, different little systemic things like that do wonders to enforce the tone of the game in my opinion and the mechanics really serve the story rather than you saying hey let's stop the story and do the mechanics part that's just my opinion to be completely fair no that's fair brian what do you think so so as a player if i would have asked you to learn the the new system now i would be all for it in 2016 i would have been like what are you thinking dusty The books are not cheap either, so I, I have I do not blame you guys at all. Like I said, I'm but. all for I'm all for spending money on things I don't need. I mean, like if you look <laughs> looking, you can see in here I don't need all this stuff, and so uh, yeah, I, I I don't mind buying books. Dusty's like, well, we're only going to play this game for uh, for like three plays. I'm like, I kind of still want to buy the book. <laughs> yeah, I, that's how I am too. I have a bookshelf. I'm a hoarder. Well, I mean, I have only a handful. Dusty has like a, a a library. It's pretty impressive. So, what I'll put for the lesson learned here? What what I'll put for the lesson learned about the the, the mechanics, the system, the game? Is there anything that this conversation has uncovered that's a good takeaway lesson learned? No, I mean, I think maybe know your audience again. Like, if you if you know your audience isn't going to be receptive to learning a new system, maybe try to adapt. But if you have people who are purists purists who want to really experience it maybe take the extra effort to learn it i don't something like that i would say maybe put thought into the the combination of setting and mechanics and whether that thought arrives you to the conclusion of hey we already know 5e let's just play it in 5e or if the thought is hey i want to run it in the system that it's intended as long as you're putting thought and it's not a careless decision i think you're doing okay some of that. Think about setting and mechanics together, and I'm going to underline together. I can get down with that. That's good. All right. The opening scene. So, Brian, when I when I opened the session, my goal for this whole session, right, was to introduce you guys to the flavor of Rokugan, to to, to Rokugan, not L5R the system. So, for me to jump into Rokugan, I really wanted to to, to open up with a, a combat against some lower-level members of another clan, mm-hmm. which required a lot of explanation for me. So I opened up on this combat where, hey, there are these Ashigaru lion troops. They're deserters, which is an anathema to the lions anyway. So I had to explain all of that. And then also explain what an Ashigaru is in comparison with an actual Bushi with a samurai. And, and then let you guys have this combat to, to kind of get rolling with your characters and roll some dice and start to inhabit those characters, as we talked about in previous games. Does that work? Do you like opening on an action scene? So I guess it's a it's a it's a question I have to break down. So do I like opening in an action scene? Yes, when it makes sense thematically. 
Uh, here, I think it makes sense. Um, we are being introduced to the characters and in story. I think if this were uh, if this were something um, that we had been playing for a while, if this was like a campaign, like our Pathfinder campaign, it probably probably would feel a little odd there because we've brought those characters to where they are. So finding them in a situation where we didn't place ourselves might feel a little bit forced. But mm-hmm. here, no, that made perfect sense. I, I liked it. And even though it wasn't a new system, it, had it been a new system, that might have been a nice way to sort of learn the system. But just from a storytelling standpoint, yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I, 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 I liked it. Um, but I just would have been just as fine as well had it been an RP instead. You make an awesome point about camp. So I've been thinking of opening up on the action as a really clever trick, but you're right in pointing out that it's a really clever trick for a one shot. But for a campaign, I should never put you in a fight that you didn't put yourself into. I would, yeah, I would say so. I like that. I'm actually going to write that down. Um, while I do that, so Tanner, mm-hmm. you, you, think about it if you were me and you're trying to introduce the flavor of Rokugan to a table full of players. You know you've only got a couple of hours to get them into Rokugan. It's a one-shot. You're going to play something else next game. How would you How would you open up the game and take advantage of that couple of hours to introduce Rokugan as best you could? Um, so I like what you, you were saying about how you want to demonstrate that Rokugan is not necessarily... Um, feudal japan you know and you want to sort of build up to that but you, you still want to establish something early on that kind of gets them comfortable um i have shied away from from combat for combat's sake in l5r like i said just because at least in the, the system i play it in it is a very lethal game and it would really suck to have to accidentally kill a player in the first combat because i'm also a, a big proponent of not um, as we discussed in the last episode, I, I'm trying to get away from fudging and trying to get away from pulling punches. And so for me, combat in L5R serves as a climax to a confrontation that is an out-of-combat confrontation. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you interacting with this rival and building up this rivalry, and then the finale is this explosive duel between you two. That's where I think L5R combat is good, but I think totally if you're just trying to get people's brain spinning and want to introduce them. I don't think that what you guys did is a bad decision at all. It's not what I would have done, but I would have been on board if I would have been at your table. So I am a fan. So for those of you listening at home, uh, number one, I agree Tanner with everything you said. That makes sense. Um, a social combat would have been interesting. Have, having it build up to a duel, showing all the phases of a duel to, to highlight the differences of the system that, that, that makes good sense. I do want to point out to, to those listening at home that might want to try L5 R4 E. There are alternate rules, both in the core rulebook and the, in the quick start guide for less lethal, less lethal combat systems. There's a way you can multiply your water ring by two and then by three for different flavors of gameplay. I don't know that I would ever do that to your point. It sounds like you really like the water ring just by itself, not multiplied out. I do. Um, and it's just because I like that L5R is supposed to be short and it, it I think at its, L5R combats feel bad when you feel like you're whacking at a big sack of hit points. And I think that sort of expanding the lethality and giving people just straight up more wounds, like it's, it goes against the sort of tension and the high action that the system is good at. And I think it um, sort of waters that down a little bit. And and I I like it to be fast, like combat in L5R in my mind should last like two or three or four rounds and that's it. So I, I mentioned earlier, I think of mechanics and, and flavor quite differently for me both of those add up to 
I think of sessions like what kind of movie am I trying to am I trying to show or story am I trying to tell? And to your point, I think about a, a great movie like Thirteen Assassins. Mm-hmm. Thirteen Assassins is this great movie. It, it's very very Japanese in its sensibilities. Um, obviously produced in Japan, Japanese language film uh, about a group of, of samurai who go off and, and, and attempt to. Uh, uh, I don't want to do any spoilers. They they attempt to assassinate this lord, and it's mm-hmm. it's. It wants it being 13 of them versus a hundred and some troops that this Lord has. And those fights, man, when someone's hit with a sword, that's it. They're done. There's right. no, there's no multiple wounds. One mm-hmm. cut out of commission. Yeah. Done. Mm-hmm. So to have that, to, to, to make that movie, the, the roll and keep water ring as it's intended makes total sense. For sure. And if you want to say, for example, emulate an anime like Roroni Kenshin, where people are hitting each other with swords and it takes three episodes for a fight to finish, you know, (laughs) and you want that type of tone, which is totally cool. Like L5R is set up to do that. If you want, you can play with the more, I would actually call those more anime style rules and rulings where you could make yourself a little bit tougher. I I just want to jump to Highlander and I can heal a little bit along the way. And, you know, in five minutes later, I'm going to be a okay. Right. Some, we, I mean, there is a Highlander RPG, though, isn't there? I'm aware of a Highlander LARP system that I saw on Drive Through RPG some time ago. We should do that. I'm not aware no, I'm of. I'm not aware of a. <laughs> I'm not aware of a tabletop system. Okay, that's a shame. It's a shame they missed that market by like 25 years, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the setup. So, Brian, uh, you finished taking out the Ashigaru bandits. You show back up at, at, at the castle the Kosatan where, where your daimyo was based. And I was very aware of, of the issues of having a daimyo and having a mission assigned to you. It can take away some player agency, but I wanted to introduce the, the politics. I didn't want to just have your daimyo tell you what to go do. Yeah. So I had this scene where you meet the daimyo. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention that, that you guys were crane. You, you, we, we chose crane as the clan uh, based on a Facebook poll. Oh, I'm supposed to mention that below. Oh, uh, you, you guys were crane clan. You show up to, to your crane daimyo. Your Daidoji Iron Warriors, which which is like, for those of you who aren't familiar with Rokugan, it's like the Swamp Fox of Rokugan. The Daidoji are very guerrilla fighters. Yeah. Um. So your Daidoji Iron Warriors, which fit you guys' play style beautifully, and this Daidoji Daimyo is introduces you to this this scorpion uh, courtier who is complaining about zombies undead mm-hmm. wearing crane clothes crane crane peasant clothes the the light blue and, and the white that are wreaking havoc in, in scorpion lands and he's very much wanting you with, with you guys with your troops to take care of this crane problem that has erupted onto scorpion lands mm-hmm. lot to pack into that lot to pack into that scene a lot of backstory to pack into that scene a lot of table talk with me explaining who the scorpion are what their background yeah, yeah. is and you just met the lion and i'm trying to pack in a lot of stuff were you able to assimilate yeah. all that knowledge? I, I mean, so yeah, so uh, the the lions were. Um, let's, let's quiz me for a second. The lion, was, they were a rival clan, right? Yeah, you guys had just. The, I had redrawn the map yeah. that you were on, to, and, and the castle that you were in was actually an L five R first edition, a lion castle. The uh, but I, I had the Daidoji take it over. The scorpions were an affiliated, but not 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 a rival. All the clans are rivals, man. Are they? So, but I thought there was some. I thought there was a level of friendliness involved with the scorpions and the crane. I mean, because um, actually, I say as I push up my glasses, um, <laughs> the the lion and the crane are like 
ancestral enemies like your people have been killing each other for generations like they are the two big rivals the scorpion kind of exists to be hated by everybody that is their job i think that the crane this is canonically quote unquote for Mm -hmm. what that's worth i think the crane have a higher tolerance for the scorpions bs than the lion do but i wouldn't say the scorpion are ever particularly on good terms with gotcha it it just seemed so the way the story was set up you know it was a crane problem that's the way it was phrased in the story but had the crane and the scorpion not had some sort of agreement the why would the scorpion show up at, at the crane to ask them to uh, basically get rid of all the crane zombies? Yeah, this that- is all the talk we had at the table too. But the crane had, had the crane lands were more mountainous. They had less natural resources, less food. They were less populous. Um, so sorry, did I, say, I meant to say scorpion. Did I say scorpion? Did I say crane? You said crane. Okay, I meant scorpion. The scorpion had fewer resources, more mountainous, um, et cetera, et cetera. So. The scorpion have to like buy food and buy grain and buy rice. They, they have to trade for those things. I also like the idea of introducing you guys to scorpions because crane are all about honor mm-hmm. and scorpions are all about dishonoring people. So scorpions are the perfect antidote to a, to a crane issue. Like the, the, to me, the crane, yes, they're bitter rivals with the lions, hence us opening with a lion fight and hence the, the, the lion duel that we'll get into in a few minutes or, or sorry, next episode. But, um, the scorpion, the, the crane are very well aware that the scorpion are the perfect antidote to, antidote to their poison. Yeah. So the way, though, it, it was being. Afraid, I, was, I, I was trying to surround you with enemies. Yes. In, other, in other words. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I guess the way that I got caught up being a, a crane problem, just being a, a crane problem, a crane problem. You know, if if I had enemy troops living or dead, but if I had in, the enemy in my lands, I would probably try to just eliminate them in you know any way that i that i could so that's the the way that i remember it but that's that's okay, that's okay that's okay um the great no. thing with the scorpion clan is that whenever they do something puzzling as the gm you can always back explain it away as it's part of some scheme i'm not going to worry about it right now that's so, awesome yeah that, that's what i do and i'm just like how can I how can I get a scorpion involved in this? Uh, it'll be part of a scheme. I don't know what it is yet, but we'll figure it out. So I guess <laughs> so as far as like going back to the question, was it too much information to assimilate? I don't think so. And again, going back to like the business nature of sort of what we, we do a lot of times uh, or how we try to present things, it's oftentimes at work that you are given a lot of information very quickly that you have to assimilate and go run with. Mm-hmm. So it's a skill set that you have to have. And sometimes it's a skill set that you might turn off when you're at the table and you're trying to have fun. But sometimes, you know, it's um, it just it's something that you have to turn on and deal with. I don't think it was too much. Going okay. back to the question. So, Tanner, I, I, I brought in the, the undead and the idea of the Shadowlands taint and, and the whole undead problem to really drive home that Rokugan was not feudal Japan. I forgot about that. Right there in the setup. So, hey, they're undead and zombies and Maho and taint. And all of this right there in the first setup scene with the Daimyo's handing off the mission. We had a hard time with that. With Taint, yes. I know. We, we talked about that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we need to re- rename that. Unfortunately, FFG did not decide on a new name for that when they rebooted the franchise. <sighs> that would have been know. a good idea. It would have. I don't know what else you can call it, though. The corruption. The it corruption. just doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Yeah. The it, big icky. The oh, yeah. The Japanese word for Taint would have worked. Yeah. Anyway. Um. 
I introduced the undead right away to drive home. This was not feudal Japan. Um, how, how would you have done that? How would you have approached that? Um, are you guys Game of Thrones fans by chance? I have the I have the first two books, but I've never read them. I've never watched the show. <laughs> yeah, same here. I, I watched the first episode of the show. And then ironically enough, despite what I just said, I, I, I saw the zombies and I was like, oh, I can't watch another zombie show. I cannot do this. Okay. So L5R, the, the best way, and this is sort of goes what you guys are saying on like onboarding onto people in the setting, at least in my circles, everyone has seen Game of Thrones or Reddit. So I like to onboard people by giving them things as uh, as sort of Game of Thrones equivalents of saying like, hey, you know what? The Crane are kind of like the Lannister if they weren't such a-holes so like that's how i like to explain it and one thing that game of thrones does really well no spoilers or anything but um game of thrones is a fantasy show but if you watch an average episode of that show you could very much forget that it could just be a very low magic sort of nebulously european quote-unquote fantasy but every time that something capital f fantasy happens on that show it is like a jaw-dropping moment of like, holy crap, I forgot that giants were a thing. Or, oh my god, I've just been watching 12 hours of political intrigue. Did that person just cast a spell? That's crazy. That effect is what I go for in L5R. That effect of rooting you in the real world and making it so that... Because I, in my mind, 95% of the people who live in Rokugan have never seen anything supernatural in their lives. That stuff is relegated to certain parts of the Empire or to certain people who deal with that all the time. So when it does happen, I want it to be a full-stop, holy crap moment of, Jesus Christ, there's zombies, what do we do? Like That's that's sort of my MO in, um, in trying to introduce the supernatural into Rokugan. Like... If I would have had that set up, I would have maybe said, you know, hey, the scorpion is saying, hey, there's the crane troops have been spotted in our lands. What What's going on with this? Send somebody to come deal with and send them home. And then it's not until the players get there that they realize that they're zombies or something like that. Like that's maybe I don't know. I don't know the details of your session if that would have worked, but like that would have been the twist that would have been in my mind of like going in, expecting something troubling, but mundane, but then realizing it's troubling and supernatural. Interesting. So, with all, like, what's the lesson I can take away from all that setup stuff with the immersion for Brian, with the undead, and, and that's such a good idea. I wish I'd done that now, Tanner. Of, <laughs> hey, there are crane troops. Why are there crane troops? Or, or even crane peasants. Why are there crane peasants wandering around Scorpion Lands? Come get them. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, they're undead. Oh, that would have been so good. I'm available for consulting. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> what, what, so, what's the lesson to take away from there about about introducing and introducing a setting rapidly, the the immersion, the the taking care with elements and, and tone? Like, like, is there something I can sum up here in, in a sentence? I don't know that there's anything. It's it's not about L five R. It's a, it's about gaming in general when you're doing something yeah. new and introducing a new setting. I would say give the minimum amount of information that you need to give to get this get things rolling. And if people want to stop and ask clarifying questions like like uh, Brian said like hey, what what is the relationship between the crane and the scorpion? Then you can answer them there, but I wouldn't burden the players with more knowledge than they need to make the decisions that they need to make. I don't know if you can summarize that to fit on a whiteboard though. I, I, I like that. Give minimum information and and so similar concept at work when we give presentations, right? We talk about Death by PowerPoint. And we oh. talk about like walls of words, walls of text. And when a PowerPoint is like three paragraphs of text, no, no, if you, you can't give me a slide that's like a reading assignment. It needs to be visual. 
And then you leave lots of room for questions. And people don't realize that in PowerPoint, there's this little section underneath the slide called notes where the presenter can see lots of notes. And I had a wonderful leader, a wonderful VP that always taught me to, to fill that notes up with all of the wall of text. And she would study that. And she would have slides that begged questions because questions to your point, Tanner, in, in, in a meeting, questions are engagement. Mm-hmm. If you want an engaged audience, show them a graph, give them a few facts, and then let them ask questions about what they see and then answer that question. If you just blow all the information out there, it's going to wash over them. They're not going to be paying attention. If you let them ask, they will listen. At least that one person will. They'll listen to the answer to that question. So I like what you're saying about give minimal information and let them ask. So so I'm, I'm writing that down. Awesome. All right. Shinobi. So, Brian, I, I had a lot of fun basically uh, creating this secret society uh, of, of Daidoji Shinobi. Uh, and, and, and Shinobi, you're are really you're encouraged to think of the scorpions as having Shinobi and, and, and not acknowledging that fact. But you're not really encouraged in, in the book is written to think of all the clans of having Shinobi. But to me, everyone needs special forces. Everyone needs infiltrators. Everyone needs behind the scenes stuff. So I took it upon myself to let the, the Daidoji have this, this Shinobi secret society and to give you and Chris missions um, that you kept secret even from each other. I really wanted you guys during gameplay to have secrets from each other. How'd that work out? I don't like having secrets from each other. Um, that's just, that's just a personal thing. I like having, I like being collaborative. Now, now I say, I, I say I don't like having secrets from each other. If it worked out really well, and it came out that it was really interesting or clever. I think I might change my mind. But when it comes to having, I don't think we're the style of players at our table where we can have secrets from each other and have a satisfying conclusion come from it. I I, I think that maybe it's the fact that we've been playing together so long, we know each other so well, or it may just be the fact that we're not good at keeping secrets. It's probably more the latter that we're just not good at keeping secrets. And it's a lot to burden the table. So the way we managed it at the table, we didn't have it a secret at the table. Like Chris, the player knew that Brian, the player had, had an, had a Shinobi character. Like the, the, the players all knew it was that the characters didn't know. And you're saying that that just wasn't worth. Sorry. What? And you had to just suspend that disbelief for as long as you could. Mm -hmm. Yes. Actually, it's a good point. I think suspension of disbelief is hard for us. It it's just it's like so we like RPing and but sometimes we're put in a position where RPing is challenging. For example, going back to a recent game that wasn't this, I'll, I'll be very brief. Uh, during the um, Pathfinder game, where we had a character who was rendered um, mentally vacant, who was basically made mindless, we, he still had to RP it, but it was it's a challenge not to to play a mindless character because the person running it, it's not mindless at the same time, knowing that there's a secret and it's impossible almost for us to suspend our disbelief and not want to almost metagame because we are very metagamey. So it would have been a cleaner session. Had I just left all this Shinobi stuff out? I don't think it detracted so much. I just don't think it added to the game. If it didn't add, then it needs to be cut. Murder your darlings. Uh, I forget the writer that said that, but murder your darlings. For sure. And I think that I don't think it's a bad instinct for you guys to try new stuff. Like I, I think Agreed. it's always if you get into habits as GMs, that's the the worst that you can 
that's the worst thing you can do, I think, as a GM. Like, you should always be trying new stuff. And it sounds like Dusty was trying a new thing with the Shinobi. And even if it was a big wet fart or if it, yeah, you know, take it or leave it. Either way, it was something new. It was an experience that you guys didn't have. And that's what role-playing games are good at, I think. That's fair. Tanner, was I, was I doing a disservice to the canon of, of the world by introducing Shinobi to the Daidoji family? Um, not the way that I do it, at least. I, I will say nobody can run L5R completely canonically. or Roku. It's, it's a fruitless exercise, and you will populate your world with so many things that your players won't have anything to do. So I, the, the way I run it is, yeah, of course, uh, the crane will have quote-unquote ninjas or shinobi. The lion do too. They sure don't talk about them, and they sure don't acknowledge that they exist because they have to uphold their image of being the honorable ones. But I I think it's really easy to role-play, get into the habit of role-playing people in Rokugan as honorable to the point of being stupid but they're all people. They all know what works and what doesn't. The Scorpion are just the ones who have courted the reputation for it and capitalize on their reputation of being traitorous, sneaky bastards. But you know what? Every Everyone's got to have them. And I think canonically, the Crane and the Lion and even the Crab Clan have quote-unquote shinobi characters who are more about, I'm doing the dishonorable, underhanded thing so that other people don't. And bearing that burden on it, even though I'm doing the dishonorable thing, it's for the greater good. As long as a character in Rokugan can sort of justify that to themselves, I don't think it's an issue to customize, you know, the setting to what you, the story you want to tell. Especially if it's a one shot and you don't need to worry about the canonical implications of what you what you've set up in the first session. And yeah, just make it your own. Do adjust and edit and trim it and shape it into what you need to tell the story that you want to tell. Lord knows I do it so much with Shadow of the Cabal because otherwise, like I said, Rokugan, as written, is somewhat of an unplayable setting in certain regards. So to some what you're saying, that the setting exists in service of the game. Correct. Yeah, you should never be... Your story should never be impeded by the setting. The setting should serve and uplift the story that you're trying to tell, but... And if it gets in the way, it should breed creative restrictions. But you know what? It's your game. No, there's no L5R police who's going to come and tell you you're doing it wrong, except me, because you've invited me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that's why we wanted you, wanted that perspective. All right, Tanner. So tell us about your history with, with, with L5R a little bit. When did, you, when did you discover it? Why do you like it? Um, sure. My A buddy of mine uh, introduced me to the setting probably in like t- late 2012 or early 2013. I think the fourth edition had just come out. And we had been playing so much D&D, and like you guys, we wanted to try sort of something different, different flavor. And everyone in my sort of circle of friends were Japanese and anime fans and stuff, so it wasn't that hard of a sell for all of us. Um, I played a couple sessions, I ran a couple sessions, um, and I kinda, it kind of just dropped off my radar for a long, long time. Um, until about twenty, either 2015 or 2016 is when... Um, I sort of got back into it. The excellent one shot podcast, which is another actual play podcast and the RPG Academy podcast, which is what I'm a network member of now. They teamed up and they played a L5R session that was run for them by Jim McClure, who is an awesome, awesome GM. And he really helped our show get off the ground too. And um, I was sort of in and amongst that community of like the one shot podcast fans. And then I put out an open call because everyone was really hyped on that episode because usually one shot does a lot of comedic things, which is so this L5R story that they did was sort of out of left field for them and everyone was really into it. And so I posted on the one shot subreddit, hey, 
if anyone's into this, I have experience playing and running the game a couple times. Let's get some people uh, going if you guys want me to run a game for you. Um, so I had four or five or six people and I ran a first game for them. And then three of those people had schedules that allowed us to stick around and continue running campaigns. And those guys were my co-hosts and podcast mates, uh, Ryan, Justin and Dakota. And so we ran through about a seven or eight or nine session campaign of L5R using the, a lot of those beginning characters that I ran for the one shot for them. And then when that was done, we're like, Hey, we could probably record this. <laughs> and we decided to, uh, at least for our purposes, we didn't necessarily have an idea to release it. It was mainly just cause like, I like having accounts of games and writing journals about them, but I'm like, if I could have an audio version, I'd love to do that. So fast forward, we started recording, um, and then we decided to start editing and releasing episodes. Like I said, uh, Jim McClure was a really big help in sort of guiding me, a, a complete podcast noob into getting started with that. And then, yeah, we started recording and releasing episodes and around episode 10 or 11 i went to the rpg academy and i said hey if you're looking for a good serious podcast to join your network this this is us here's a couple episodes here's the gist of our show if you're going to listen to just one or two listen to these episodes and then they had an internal discussion about it from what i understand and took a vote and invited us onto their network and we've been releasing under the rpg academy network ever since awesome so and i, I can't help but notice that you are now a moderator in the Rokugan subreddit. Yeah, that that story is a little bit less noble than <laughs> than what it started with. Um, I would submit my episodes and spam them to Reddit, of course, because you got to self-promote. And my episodes kept getting caught by the spam filter on there. And I would have to message the mod, who is very inactive, and he's still very inactive to this day. I don't think he's posted on the subreddit in like a year. But he, uh, I'm just like, hey, my thing's caught in the filter again and then he just made me a moderator so now i just run the subreddit and make sure that my posts can get in and make sure that everyone's behaving themselves it's a pretty slow subreddit so it's not too terribly difficult but yes technically um i rule it with an iron fist awesome and you're gonna come out next episode to help us finish out our our, our rokugan uh episode series and and do you mind talking to us a little bit next episode about your take on the the new fantasy flight games l5r5e yeah, I'd absolutely. I'd love to come back and chat about that. All right, awesome. Tanner, thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. So you've listened to RPG Lessons Learned. We are part of the RFC family of shows. Please visit us at rpglessonslearned.com, which redirects to the correct subcategory of tfradio.net. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned. And we're sharing ours with you.